Good? Very. Extremely. All right. Matt, thanks for uh, for joining me today, not us today. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. I'm I'm kind of sad. I feel like I, you know, I'm getting I'm getting half the experience. So, damn it, half the experience. <laughs> I feel like you'll just have to do twice as good or something. I will, but the good part is I'm the better half host. So it's. Like... <laughs> We want to we want to give you guys a, a quick life hack recommendation. Um, if you're from the Toronto area, GTA, um, our lovely listeners, we want to want to help you out here. As of late, we've been recording a lot more, spending a lot more time in the studio, and because of our lives are a little bit hectic, we're in and out. We never really have snacks and food here, so we uh, partnered up with Tiggy, who is a Canadian app, and uh, recently came to Toronto, and they are an on-demand food delivery service. And also, you can get your COVID test and basically anything else you need. They got a variety of unique products. Uh, basically, anything that you might want last minute, you can go. Go on the app. It's 15 to 30 minute delivery. Yeah, you heard that right. 15 to 30 minutes. We literally order it when we get in the studio before an episode. And before we even sit down to start recording, our food is here. I'd say even for us, always come closer to the 15 minutes and the 30. Like we'll order it and before we can, you know, as soon as we sit down, take our jackets off, our guest gets here, like the stuff is here and like keeps us, I mean, we get drinks, snacks, I mean, anything we really need to kind of, you know, keep us going, it, it comes. The best part is there's no fees, no subscriptions. Um, it Guys, it, it's actually amazing. They have fresh products and we actually like, you know, we don't waste stuff here. We order what's needed every episode and you know we go through it and then the next time we're back in here we order more we don't we don't waste stuff because sit here and, and go bad and it's been a lifesaver and since we love you guys so much we're going to give you guys a promo code you knew this was coming pal 30 yeah pal 30 p-a-l 30 gives you 30 percent off your first three orders yep bingo boom go do it guys it, and not, not only that like every the price of everything is going up you're gonna save 30 percent. like what a no-brainer don't, thank us later. You know, don't even thank us. Just go and do it. Have a so great day. We'll put the download link in the bio in the description. So click the unique link. You can download it again. And the promo code is PAL30 for 30% off your first three orders. Now get ready for this fire episode. Let's go. I'm kidding. Uh, for anybody listening, just so you guys know, it's only George today. And I'm obviously with Matt here from Mount Joy. Ricky got stuck in Houston. Um, I know that you guys said you had kind of heard what happened, but essentially. My pal Ricky, he's the single one of the two mm -hmm. of us, so he's still living like his best life, just kind of on a whim, doing whatever. And a buddy of ours uh, messaged both of us saying he had extra tickets to the Final Four um, mm. in New Orleans yesterday, so or Saturday. So the guy hopped on like a last-minute flight, flew to Houston, drove five hours to New Orleans, watched the game, drove five hours back to New Orleans, and then got stuck. Or sorry, five hours back to Houston. And got stuck in Houston. So he is actually still there now. He slept in the airport last night. And Ooh. Yeah. That is the true Houston experience. <laughs> really good. Have you ever had any, any bad bad airport experiences on... Uh, on uh, not specifically in Houston, but I mean, I've had plenty of, of bad airport experiences. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. The Houston airport has a sp specific ring to it. That sounds brutal. Yeah. But yeah. 
fun to go to the Final Four. It seemed like there were some, some good games. Are you, a, are you a basketball fan at all? Sports? Yeah. Um, I definitely uh, I don't watch college basketball as much, but you know when March Madness uh, rolls around, I, I it piques my my interest a little bit. Okay. What uh, would you say? You're more of like an NBA fan, or like? Yeah, I'm a Sixers fan. I was just gonna guess. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I grew up in Philadelphia, so I do all the um, Philly sports. Um, which I mean, I assume this podcast has a a, a Toronto bent. So <laughs> a little bit. I'll just say it because it, it it's true. <laughs> The, the Raptors just own the Sixers in this way that I really love Toronto, so I can I can sort of like live with that um, and accept it. But yeah, just good for you guys. I appreciate it. It's uh, you know I never really had like a, I never had anything against the 76ers until uh, you guys had Allen Iverson, and we won't talk too much about sports. But one thing I want to touch <laughs> on, obviously, you guys are from Philly. Um, Allen Iverson, obviously, back in the day, did. Uh, didn't treat us well when we had Vince Carter, but uh, definitely seeing Kawhi get redemption against them was uh, was pretty satisfying. Especially like when you hear things like Philly fans are pretty ruthless and all that stuff. So knowing that kind of we've had the last laugh so far, it does feel kind of good. I'm not lying. Ball is still bouncing on the rim as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. It was uh, it was definitely a crazy one. I actually Ricky and I are both pretty big basketball fans. Rick, like you're right, Toronto fans in general. Um, but uh, and then during the playoffs we have we have season tickets. I went to most like I went to a few of the games before that, and that one I was like, I was like I know what they've done to us, and Philly's always beaten us, so I didn't go. Hmm. And a buddy of mine messaged me saying like you missed the greatest game. I mean I watched it, but it was. Uh, we have a uh, our Canadian agent is uh, our friend uh, Himmelfarb, and he he texted me like it felt like he texted me right as the ball like went through the hoop like he was so ready to just be like just to get fired up yeah it was good for you guys um did you I guess grew up in Philly I think I was like reading you grew up in Philly um moved out to the west coast yeah grew up in Philadelphia and then um followed my girlfriend from college she was from Los Angeles out to LA lived there for a little while and was it just because of that? Was the, did the music bring you over as well? Like, or was it? Playing? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I guess I, I I was playing music in college. I'd studied music in school, but um, no, I wasn't going out there to like make it in music. I, um, you know, I hadn't done enough. There wasn't um, wasn't really anything to go out there for music for. You know, I had I'd played around and tried to make it work, but at that point, you know, I'd done that since high school so it'd been you know eight to ten years of like really trying to find a foothold of fans to see me play live and stuff and I wouldn't say I was like retiring from music or anything like that but I I I definitely was like looking for a real job and um for the first time and um yeah LA wasn't this like you know I think there's a misconception that I like went out to LA to like find my acting slash music career or something but wasn't like that that's it. That's actually, I, I didn't know that. It's pretty interesting. Like, I mean, that's again, people think that you go out there to like find something. So you went out there without the intention of finding it and found it. Yeah. I mean, I think probably somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, I can keep writing songs and I'll be in a good city to, you know, maybe meet some people and, and share my music. But no, I was, um, I was working a data entry job right when I got there, which was, which was like tangentially related to music, but I was, I was like putting in the royalty payments for people on Spotify and uh, various like DSPs and just, you know, 
Um, and then I uh, started going to law school night classes. So, you know, on the weekends I was writing music and when I got home I was writing, but it was really just the hobby and for the love of it. Um, and then, yeah, I was just working in Los Angeles in completely unrelated fields for the most part. Like, did you just writing it like for the, for like the, the enjoyment of it or kind of in the free time, like, uh, do you feel that it, like it changed how you, how you looked at it? Like, was it less of like, Oh, I let me put a lot of time and effort into this. Was it more, whatever comes of it comes of it. Let me just kind of throw my thoughts on like, does it, does, I don't know if that makes sense. It, did it change your approach and how you went about it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I think probably there's an element of like, um, for one, I wasn't pushing and I think there's something to that. I think a lot of artists, you know, I mean, there's a whole sort of, um, train of thought, train of thought. Wow. Sorry. Um, that, you know, the first album for artists is typically this, you know, good album or whatever, a great album. And then there's like the sophomore slump or something like that. And I think it's the same idea where it's like, you know, a lot of artists get put in this crucible of like, make something awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to put that to sports or whatever, it's like the, the clock's running down and you have to hit the three pointer versus like you're up 30 and you're wide open and you just, you know yeah. how to shoot. So you knock it down. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that, you know, I was just, I was wide open and there was no score. There was no clock. It was just sort of just make some shots, put some shots up and, um, I'm not going to make this an entire sports analogy podcast, but, <laughs> um, popped into my head. That's that's uh, that's really cool to hear. I mean, to your point, it seems like a lot of people like maybe it's I don't know as an outsider, maybe it's that perception of now with with it's social media, whether it's YouTube, whatever it is, can make something pop overnight and make something go overnight. Um, you know, and maybe it's push that puts that pressure and that impetus on people. Like, you know, I made a song. You know, why isn't the single going viral? Why isn't it blowing up? Why isn't it hitting the top of the charts and all that stuff? And um, that can, I'm assuming that can probably put like undue stress on people and, you know, cloud your mental capacity because you're not thinking like, yeah, you're not open. You're not thinking clearly. It's not like, oh yeah, this is what I do every day. It's what I love to do. It should come naturally to me. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I, I think some amount of pressure is probably good. You know, that's what they say anyway. Uh, but I, I think as much as you can block that stuff out and just try to remember that you're doing something that hopefully should exist outside of the sphere of like, work even though of course it takes a lot of hard work but um yes whatever you can do to like you know i know people go you know they go out into the wilderness we've gone to like montana on on the last record and just try to separate yourself from the sort of industrial complex that is the streaming whatever all that stuff yeah very cool how did you uh how'd you like montana oh i love it i mean um we know someone with a um cabin sort of like an hour down even like a dirt road once you get off the main road and yeah it's just there's something about like getting into the the where there's no lights kind of feeling and um yeah it just takes a few days but i feel like then you like become more human almost like there's there's a different uh speed in that world for sure you kind of like reconnect and just again like forget about the hustle and bustle and all the things that really don't matter at the end of the day truly yeah i mean this is all sort of, yeah, there's like the, I always think about it as like, there's various levels of, of zoom that you can have on your perspective. And I feel like we get super zoomed in on, on when you live in a city, especially with on the day to day and how you're going to, 
make your podcast bigger or your album bigger or how your career is going to go and what that's going to mean for you. And then at the end of the day, you can always just zoom out and be grateful for the things that you have and, and grateful and then grateful for the earth and then grateful for Absolutely. the universe and all these things that you, you really should be um, focusing your gratitude on. 100%. That's actually a good way to put it. Like you just kind of like when you, if you don't zoom out often to see what everything that's going on around you, you just kind of look at, um, you know, I need to do this better and that better and all that. And, and I actually read something the other day. It's like, you know, are you, if you know, you should be grateful where you are because if you look back five years ago, I mean, if you're working, if you're working hard, doing what you love five years ago, you is probably, sorry, I just realized I left all these like snacks in the front of the shot. <laughs> I didn't even realize there's like Oreos in the middle of this in the front here. Anyway, sorry. That just, I don't completely forgot to take those down. <laughs> Whatever. We'll leave them in part of the shot now. Um, sorry, I got a little sidetracked there on no that. No uh, But yeah, if, is it, you know, five years ago, you'd be looking at it and saying, wow, like this, my life's amazing. It's five years later. It's what I want. You know, I have a house or I have a podcast or a, an album topping the charts and all that stuff. But when you're like in the moment going micro day to day and just looking at those micro actions, you're not stepping out to kind of take a 40,000 view, 40,000 foot view of it. And really see, like, does anything really matter? Like, I am where I need to be. Something's going to go wrong. Could be good, could be bad, whatever it is. Sure. Yeah, I think it's important. Otherwise, you know, you get you get stuck in the day-to-day. And, I mean, I think that's why we as a society, among other reasons, of course, like, just struggle so much with anxiety. Is like we, we could all use a little perspective shift from absolutely. time to time. Yeah, absolutely. So did you guys stay out in Montana to write the entire, like, no, no, and or? this was this was the last record. Um, you know, with COVID, writing this, we we, had, we just went there for maybe a week or so. Um, the last record cycle, oh, but okay. with COVID, everything was a little bit weird. You know, traveling wasn't really a thing, so a lot of this record was actually written in. Um, Sam and I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and we, um, you know, we were looking for a place or there's a practice space or or you know, just a place we could go and turn up amps and make noise um and we actually found uh this woman rented out a barn on her property um and uh we we rented it out for like six months and would just treat it like a job just go there every day and it was it was you know it had like a nice stream running through the back of it kind of vibe and you know i guess it emulated montana and in a, in a you know it's still like the suburbs of philadelphia it wasn't remote or anything but um yeah it just it was a good space to be able to um, bring our ideas every day. And, um, that's where most of this record, I mean, you know, there were some other places where things were written, but that's where a lot of it was put together. Very cool. And you said you went, the two of you went out there. Yeah. So Sam and I, um, uh, grew up in the Philadelphia area together. Um, and when the pandemic started, you know, we had been living in Los Angeles, the whole band actually for like, you know, five years or so. And when the pandemic started, um, you know, everyone for various reasons, kind of, there was a bit of a Mount Joy diaspora of, uh, uh, out of, um, Los Angeles, uh, the two, our bass player, Michael and, uh, drummer Satiris stayed in Los Angeles. Jackie, our, um, piano player went back to Portland, which is where she was, you know, raised and where she's from. And then Sam and I went back to Philly. Um, a lot of reasons for that, but I think part of it was just the severity of the situation and wanting to be close to family. Um, but then once kind of got there, there's this realization that, you know, being in a band like us that tours as much as we do, you know, I was only spending a fraction of my time in Los Angeles anyways, and I was traveling so much. And then you realize like, 
what little time is left after that is spent with your family and you, you know you rarely see the people that i guess in the end feel like they're the most important so yeah i think there was a perspective shift there where i was like why not live in philly i'm gonna be with this band the vast majority of the time um which i which we still are we're still together most of the time traveling or making things or whatever it is um and then when we're home um really feel like you're home kind of thing so yeah that's why we moved back to philly and um yeah made made most of the the record there and yeah very cool and like do you think now that now this being able to be back home and like living that lifestyle which it's probably new to a lot of like musicians and artists, right? And everyone thinks being a central place, whether in New York, LA, whatever it is, like, do you think it's sustainable now going forward? Like it's, it allows you to stay close to home, keeps you grounded, or is it like you still kind of feeling it out? Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I think if there's a, a shift in how this pandemic, you know, I just, we'll see. I, I, I'm like really dubious as to whether things are ever going to go back to the way things were in, in completely obviously we've had this shift where things are less locked down and, and stuff like that which is amazing but um i think people just learn to work remotely in yeah. so many ways where you know if there's a meeting in los angeles i don't physically have to be there unless i unless i do in which case i can probably fly but um yeah you know i think i think it's gonna work we'll see um and if it doesn't that's fine we'll we'll we'll, we'll adjust but Good thing is Philly's an hour train ride from New York City. And that's where we just signed a new record deal. Um, our record label's based out in New York City. So if anything, I'm closer now than I was. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting, eh? Like when now, kind of a good thing that's come out of this is like realizing how much you can do remotely. Mm-hmm. And if you think back, how much like time we probably, and, and any profession, any any job, how much time was wasted probably meeting with people, whether it was like, you know, prep meetings, intro meetings, breakdown, whatever it is, how much time was actually wasted being around people because everyone just felt that that's the way to do it. Um, so I guess there is some, some positives come out of this. For, oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, there has to be. I, I think we've just learned we value our time more, which, again, that's that perspective thing. I think pe- people, you know, the pandemic was horrible. There's no, like, mincing that. But I think it, it caused a lot of people to have a perspective shift on how they value their time. Absolutely. Um, question regarding like East Coast, West Coast. Are you just like, are you an East Coast guy through and through you? Or did you like it out there when you were? Oh, no. I mean, Los Angeles, California. I mean, California as a state is probably the most just diversely, diversely a word, uh, beautiful uh, (laughs) state that America has. Um, Yeah, it's an amazing place. Los Angeles is an amazing city. Uh, um, I love it there. I don't I don't get into all, all the east coast west coast east coast has got some amazing things going for it as well um just more densely and sort of like uniquely american i think in a lot of ways whereas like i feel like when i go to california in a good way some most of the time i feel like i'm like leaving the america as i know it you know yeah yeah. it's a lot more diverse there's there's so many different like pockets and neighborhoods i mean you're in new york city i mean even philly for that matter like we went down uh, ricky and i we had a we were running a startup for a while. We actually went on a road trip. We passed through Philly, first time passing through. Mm-hmm. Philly does have a unique look about it, but it also feels like you could be in a suburb in any other East Coast. I mean, you could be in Toronto, really. Sure. Um, you know, the major landmarks once you're obviously in Philly, sure. it is very Philadelphia. But yeah, the West Coast, I would I would agree with you. I think it's very, 
you know, LA has a uniqueness about it. Part of it could look like Florida and part of it could look like you're in maybe even part of downtown Philly or something like that. Yeah. Or like the Mediterranean. It's very kinda, true. It, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful spot. Yeah, yeah. I love LA. Awesome. In, uh, in regards to like the, you know, the good, and you mentioned something like, you know, moving back to some sense of, of normalcy and all that stuff, obviously shows are coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before we get into the, the Toronto stuff, cause obviously you're playing in this, this great city. I did see, and correct me if I'm wrong. This is, um, a future show you guys sold out red rocks or yeah. that happened or that's coming up and coming up that's awesome yeah. and i'm bringing that up because I, I feel really bad ricky's not here like he's gonna listen to this he's gonna be pissed because he of both of us like we're i grew up in music and all that but he is like a diehard uh fan of music of any art like he just appreciates the craft immensely like, sure. as do most people <laughs> myself but he's just like he'll go to any concert you can appreciate the music and the talent and the story but Knowing that you guys sold out Red Rock, he would have been like, it's his ven- the venue he's dreamed of going for so long. I bet you would be sitting here like losing his mind, getting ready to, con- to f- hop on a flight or book a ticket to go to the show. <laughs> so uh, I guess what I'm getting out of my question is like, in terms of Red Rock's iconic venue, mm-hmm. um, is that one that's like circled on your calendar? Or do you view every show as, as a special show? Yeah, I mean, definitely it's on the bucket list. And, um, you know, we, this will be our second time. We, we, we had a special one where we played the first one just by luck of the calendar uh that they when they opened it back up in may of gosh i guess 2021 and uh yeah it's just dream come true i mean it's just such a special place and um it's just for whatever reason mostly probably because so many amazing shows have happened there and there's such a special energy there that um you know i think every artist definitely puts it on the bucket list and then I think it's a bit of a marker too. Like I, you know, once I realized that we were like, like you said, like selling out Red Rocks, I think you just sort of like, I sort of have this whole perspective on the Mount Joy thing that it just, when you're in it, you can't really feel that it's growing in the way that it is. And then something like that sort of forces you to face the reality of like, people are really like, a lot of people are, are attaching themselves to this and, yeah, it's pretty, I think that part of it for artists too, where you're kind of like, you're measuring yourself against other people and bands that are, you know, on the schedule at Red Rocks. So for for those two reasons, I think sort of as a benchmark and then also just getting to play such an amazing venue, it, it's it's amazing. That's pretty cool. So you're saying like kind of like that point of like the micro and, and the macro and zooming out like day to day, it doesn't feel, I mean... I'm sure it probably in some way feels, but you kind of like you're making progress, but you don't really notice it. And then you hit these milestones in your career and you kind of like it. It kind of makes, gives you that like kind of, what's the, like not the aha moment, but it's like, okay, we're, we're getting somewhere here. Yeah, totally. Like I try to keep as a person, I try to keep my, not like intentionally avoiding other people, but I keep my world pretty small. And, um, you know, from the beginning, my friends have known about Mount Joy. So it's like nothing's really changed in my world of just like working on music and trying to keep it simple and all that stuff. So you're able to sort of, you know, I mean, you're seeing things happening. I'm not like completely blind. So the shows were <laughs> selling out and stuff like that, but absolutely. But I, I, I think, yeah, exactly. You're, you're able to, I don't know. I, for me, definitely the selling out Red Rocks was like a, it gives you some pause about what, what you're building and what you're doing. Absolutely. What's, what was kind of the, what have been some of the other, those moments that have really just given you like a, you know, reality check or whatever it is that's, you know, through the last few years, um, 
because you guys have started like 2016 was when like kind of got your start and that's like that's not that long in reality you know talking mm-hmm. about you know people kind of becoming overnight sensation but that's not a very like it's pretty fast considering to that touring shut down and all that for the past couple of years sure. um so i would even say you guys have had a pretty pretty quick rise relatively speaking but sure. it along the way what were kind of those any other ones that stand out yeah i mean there've been there've been a bunch I, i'll say a lot of it's um less like the size of the venue or whatever but it's like the energy of the show or people singing back lyrics and not pandering to the pod here but um truly the first the one that first comes to mind is we you know we were in a van you know touring um and the the first sort of round of uh shows you know it was pretty hit or miss and i think that's sort of the we were the first era of you know spotify band a band existing less in sort of physical plastic cds and more in this like i don't know that we're the first but we're in this first wave i guess where spotify was really impacting the way people were hearing our music and therefore i think big cities like toronto new york city chicago you know et cetera, et cetera, Philly. <laughs> Getting some hate uh, from your, from yeah, your hometown fans yeah, exactly. there. <laughs> um, we're, we're more hip to it um, more quickly. And then, you know, you would go to more secondary markets, tertiary markets, whatever it was, and you would play to no one. So it was this like really slow curve. It felt like in the beginning, the day-to-day grind of, you know, driving the van around. But I remember coming to Toronto and we played at the, um, I want to say the Drake, or no, sorry, this one was at the, we have played at the Drake Hotel, but we played, this one was at the Velvet Underground. Yeah. And sort of an unassuming thing where it was it was sold out, but which was great. But, um, you know, you play the first note of the song and it's like, this felt like I was in the Beatles, you know, it was like everyone was singing every word to every song. And, you know just being in another country um obviously this is such an amazing city and then that was sort of our introduction i feel like to like truly loving toronto from from a band standpoint but then also obviously selfishly i was like wow i love it these people are amazing and i think stuff like that was this moment where i was like i've been to so many shows as a music fan and like that's sort of where i see myself first is like as this fan of music and so you can measure yourself as like i don't know how many concerts i've physically been to where there was that sort of reaction to not just like the hit songs but people singing sort of all of the songs and and being so engaged in the performance um it sort of just gives you this feeling that like if that can happen here you know if we just keep pounding you know we can build something you know that's not just in those big cities wow that's pretty cool too to think that you know you guys have played such big shows and different venues but and velvet underground i mean obviously pretty i'd say it's historic place for for our city but not like a huge venue by any means so to have that much of an impact i mean says something about i guess one is like that moment but also two is i guess your your love and appreciation for the for the for the craft rather than just the again going back to your early days of like not just doing it to make it doing it because you love doing it totally also i think um there's there's um i think it was actually we've toured with uh the Lumineers, which is awesome, but I think I'm stealing this from them because it's true. I forget which, uh, whether it was Wes or Jer that said this, but one of them was saying um, that 
the hardest thing to do for a band is to sell 250 tickets. Um, and what they meant by that is that like most sort of clubs that size, whether it's Velvet Underground, I don't know exactly how many tickets that is, but they're all around that. They're like in this, they call them 250 caps in the industry okay. speak, um, where it's like, it's usually like a bar or, you know, maybe it's sort of like not yet a rock club. Some of them are, but they're like, you know, obviously smaller. Um, and they have those all over the world. And the idea that those are the hardest to sell because, you know, when you're just starting out and you're playing coffee shops or whatever, the idea that you would get 250 people, you don't know 250 people, right? So like you've got to have a thing happening that's broken through on some level to where you're able to sell out in a city, especially one that you're not from, 250 tickets consistently. And essentially that's like the barrier to entry. I think of it as like in terms of the touring industry, um, and once you're able to do that, there's this exponential growth, right? Because if you're selling 250, it's probably for a reason. You've broken through, you have song or a song or songs, whatever it is. Um, and at that point, there's this exponential growth possibility. It doesn't always happen. But if you're on that path and you're playing playing well and, and your songs are connecting, from 250, if they all enjoy the show, right? It's like they go home and they tell their friends. Now you have this grassroots movement throughout you know, a wide, you know, whether it's North America, the whole world, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I think ultimately then, and it is true, the next tour, you're probably playing the 500, the next tour, you're playing the 1000, 1200s. So in, you can work your whole career to get to this 250. And then three tours later, you know, four tours later, you're playing history in Toronto, because just that the way that the word of mouth works in the town, um, not to mention the sort of like, podcast radio media complex starts to attach to things that are selling 250 you know that are moving Absolutely. in their city so the hardest thing to do is to is to get to that velvet underground zone and have that moment because you you sort of know like if they're all singing and having a good time we're gonna we're gonna get to the opera house like yeah 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 that's pretty cool i i, I did not know that that's that's really interesting and it, it does make sense obviously that 250 because I mean, you can definitely, a 250 room doesn't probably look that big either when you're in it, but when it's packed with people, it also probably looks intimate, but also super busy. Um, and to, I guess to your point, that exponential growth, I mean, you guys are playing two shows in, in Toronto, correct? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that just goes to show you, I guess, to your point of that kind of exponential growth. Um, do, like, do you think that that was a, is this now is a byproduct of that? I mean, obviously you guys have grown a lot in that time, I guess, substantially, but do you think that also, because like, that show was so impactful, does that feel like a place where you think like, oh, this probably led to this? Or On some level, it has to be true. Yeah, it has to be true. I mean, because again, and like so much of um, even getting to sit down and speak with you, it's like people, um, it's harder to get, I know because I've tried on my own, right? Like before I went to LA, like it's, it's almost impossible to get anyone to spend their time, nor should they, right? Like, um, helping you take those next steps and, and reach uh, your audience or um, radio stations or whatever it is that you're trying to expand your audience, those people aren't going to invest in you until they realize there's something that, you know, could, could come back their way. And that's, you know, that's the quid pro quo. That is yeah. the any sort of um, marketing venture, which ultimately is what bands are. They're, they're at this point, they're obviously musicians and everything else, but on the business side, they're they're a marketing company for for what the, what it is they're trying to sell, 
which is music. Um, and I think, yeah, I've sort of lost the thread here, but I, I think uh, You're good. It, it's true. It, it's it's Those moments are when people are brought, you know, your label's working to get the people to come to the show. And if they see that, and they know like okay i can get out ahead of this i can be i can i can be attached to this band you know cuz maybe they are going to do nothing but maybe they're going to be some huge band that we can say we were there first for absolutely um in regards to like the the helping out and all that stuff you can always come on the pals podcast you're, all, you're always <laughs> welcome here and i'm sure uh ricky would love to uh to sit down with you sorry rick i know you probably listen to this man it's uh, having a good time here without you buddy um i wanted to ask too cuz you said something about the spotify aspect and you guys were one of the earlier ones um, that in conjunction with like the kind of the quid pro quo, quid, Jesus, quid pro quo. <laughs> do you think that that, um, the quid pro quo aspect is being a little bit like reduced because now with Spotify, anybody can get their music out there. And do you think that that's also helped you guys or are you, do you, st- I don't really know here what I'm asking, but like, is, do you noticing like it's the, the artists are getting more empowered and like, you know, for your career, for example, are you able to kind of control your own destiny a little bit more? Um, or have you not found there's much of a difference in, than what it used to be? Yeah, I think it's probably changing all the time um, because I think sp- even the Spotify, Apple Music, um, Amazon, I should list them all so that I we, we, <laughs> we make sure we get equal love or something. But, Absolutely. Uh, but um, I think they're changing. I think in our career since we started, um, you know, with Astrovan sort of going viral on Spotify – to now, um, I know that they've changed a lot, um, in part because <clears throat> I think they've gone from like a um, a thing where you're right, where everyone could upload, and then there was this moment where um, they, you know, I guess playlists and all this stuff that um, really was completely foreign to, to me and to everyone is now like everyone knows the game, you know, and in the beginning, I think when you know a few people know the rules to a to a board game or something whatever you want to make the analogy it's easy for them to clean up all the chips but now i think everyone is aware of how the how the game works and so it's changing it's changing how people approach um you know whether it's getting on playlists is now like this very and it probably always was but it feels very political and and very um you know almost like the job of a label now has switched from Maybe, maybe not necessarily so much about radio, although still it's there, of course. But now there's this other wing that's like, you know, they're trying to influence gotcha, the Spotify yeah. world. And and it's almost just the industry has just moved in a way where I, I don't know that it's any easier than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Because now they're just fighting over this sort of digital ad space. Um, and, you know, I think it's... But one thing that is true is that... Y- unlike maybe in the 60s 70s 80s 90s whatever um your your music getting your music into that platform um is still way easier that 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 hurdle is way lower i think than you know driving to this record labels and basically throwing your your cd or whatever it was um to people who are very unlikely to listen to it yeah I think they're still very unlikely to listen to it, but now at least it's a link inside of Spotify. <laughs> the barrier to kind of get that like visibility has been reduced. But to your point, that quid pro quo maybe didn't disappear. It just shifted to another avenue, I guess. So, you know, in the early days, maybe getting up there, because you guys have a, a, quite a few streams. Mm-hmm. I did not know this. I actually found this out 
uh, today I was looking into it. You guys have, from correct me if I'm wrong, half a billion. Is that right? Half half a billion? Yeah, we got a head nod over there. A head nod. Danielle's I, usually here to fact check too. So again, I'm even with only my fact checker, but I appreciate half it. Half a billion. Thank you. I honestly, I, I that's don't pretty know that, crazy. That's, that's awesome. a big number. That's <laughs> like, awesome. That is a big number. I mean, in terms of like those milestones of like reality checks, I mean, I'm sure again the first few hundred must have been crazy and and totally. No, it's crazy. I think you sort of lose the. It's crazy. We're super lucky, and I um, it's hard to even know what that means. You know, it's like these numbers get True. so big. I, I I, not I don't mean that like these numbers get so big, but it's just it's amazing, and um, most of those are me, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. It, well, in terms of, like that's a good point. Like it, it's you know hard to put in perspective. Like you know half a billion of anything sounds like a lot, yeah. which it is reg- objectively it is. But to that point too, it's you know you're saying it's hard to know what it means and. I think I kind of understand what you're saying there. And, and in that regard, like in terms of like the meaningful aspect, you mentioned the show, but of like everything that you, you do or you and in, in, you and the band do like what, it, what really does like give you the, bring you the most joy. I, I didn't even like not to be ironic, <laughs> but not joy, but I just don't know. But like, yeah, like, is it, you know, being in Montana recording, is it playing velvet underground? Is it, you know, playing red rocks? Like what what's that thing that kind of makes you guys tick? For me, I just like love writing music. It's like a a thing that I've done, like I said, for a long time unsuccessfully. And then, then there's this like short period of the amount of time that I've been writing music that I've had like this quote unquote success. So I think it's just the feeling that people are being moved by and like, like respect what it is that, you know, me and the band are putting out. Like I've thought a lot about that, especially over the pandemic, like you know, you start making money, you start, you know, like having these other indicators of like success. And it feels like those are like the, the steal from a, an Eagles quarterback quote. It's like, that's the rat poison. You know, it's like, that's the stuff that you could eat up. That seems like the delicious treat of your, your hard work or whatever. But it just is like, this never ending. People are always going to argue about money. There's always going to be this sort of like negative aspect to like all the fruit of what seems like the fruit of your labor. But I think the true fruit is just like, you know, all that stuff's amazing and important, but the true fruit is like, those are people hopefully connecting with and like respecting you. Like there's this like intangible that sort of doesn't get measured in, in the number big or small. That's just like the, the, sort of like human desire to be loved or be respected sure. by people is is like way way beyond anything that you could ever achieve and i think there's a lot of like certain types of acts that get even more streams and and then they but like does that equate to that like like what does that ultimately mean for you like when you're when it's all said and done like yeah. which is like all of this stuff and that's like another thing i think the pandemic showed is like because like shows get taken away and Mount Joy is like a business that certainly like the half a billion streams is incredible and all this stuff. But if, if we can't go out and play shows, if, if that, if all that were to dry up, like I, I'm not sure, but I, from my maybe un, um, educated opinion on the business, it's like, I, I don't think we'd be a thing anymore, but then would there still be people that would like play our music to their kids? And, and or like, would there still be this thing there that's like, sort of even if the business dies that that will stay there and to me like that's what we're trying to build it's just this thing that's like people respect what we do they want to share it not because they want us to make money or like get more streams but because they they have like some sort of important attachment to it 
So uh, that's that's really one really cool, really like commendable. It seems like you're trying to build something that's not, like lasting, but also has some sort of like connection, I guess, with people. It's not it's beyond the numbers and beyond the half a billion, if you will, and all that sure. stuff. Um, you made a good point. Like I'm sure, like a lot of people and a lot of a lot of the world probably had a bit of a like a reality check when that the pandemic hit, right? You could, anything, your job, your your career, what brings you what brings you happiness and excitement can be just taken like that. And I guess if you're if the wrong things are giving you those markers or those indicators that you're doing something good or doing something well or successful and that's taken away, then what is left at the end of the day? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, why are you doing it? What's your why? What's important to you? You know, it's like if, if you want to make money, I promise you, you should put the guitar away because it's, it's your chances of making lots of money with that guitar are so, so low. And there's so many ways to make money. And so many people making more money than me who I'm better at guitar then. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, fair. It's just so true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, on that note then, like, you know, you said you're, I guess, correct me again if I'm wrong. Well, your why is kind of like to have that thing that's lasting with people that they want to show their kids. When you're writing music, are you writing from a place of like, um, are you writing from a place of like things that have happened to you and things that are meaningful to you? Or is it things that are trying to be more, common that people might go through like what what gives you that inspiration or what allows you to kind of have that connection or is it just you write for the love of it and you hope that they're going to love it as much as you yeah i think like for me i've just always like i said i've always written for this joy of writing and i think a lot of that's um mental health related like it's like sort of this meditation that i can do or i write like almost every day regardless and it's just like you're building something. It's like, I feel like some people like play with Legos or something like that. You know, it's this sort of sometimes completely mindless, just I'm building these things and they're instead of Legos, they're songs. And, um, I put them together pretty slowly. Like I have thousands and thousands of voice notes in my phone or things just kind of scribbled and yeah, just like the building things to build them. I think for me, it's mostly like I, it's just this cleanse of my subconscious you know sometimes i have no idea what the song's really about but then maybe like a year later i'll reflect on it and i'll know exactly what it's about but and i think that's this cool like um for a lot of songwriters like it's just this study of your own subconscious or what's on your mind and i think for me when i try to like which i've been successful with in the very few times but when i try to like write a song about the oreos on the table or something like I feel like you and I are going to be equally good at that. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm writing something that only I can reach into and I have this practice of sort of, it's almost like meditating, I think, of just like, you know, just putting putting stuff on the page and, and arranging it, of course. Um, that's maybe where my skill set comes in and what separates me from even just another songwriter. Like, not that I'm any better than them, but they can't do that, right? That's the sort of thing that I have that that is unique to me. So you, so you find you're someone that like just naturally you like to get your thoughts out like on a daily basis, like whatever's kind of in your head, whether it's music related or anything, like you're just someone who has to get like kind of clear it from your mind, empty that space out, but also just to kind of keep it and you don't lose it. Try to. Yeah, try to. I mean, it's harder on tour actually, but try to just, even if it's not like lyrical content, mm -hmm. just playing guitar and just messing around with chords and trying new things and just creating, I think like being a creator is like such a amazing job in that sense that you can just make things and yeah I'm, I'm like super drawn to yeah just 
trying to create something that didn't exist the day before. Very cool. And you say you kind of do it, um, you try to do it every day. Would you consider yourself someone who's pretty consistent? Like from when you started to like, do you every single day you have kind of these like, I don't know, pillars or routines that you do, whether it regards to music or anything to do with mental health, your physical, whatever it is. Do you have things that are like um, non-negotiables? Like you just every single day you do them. How does or are you or you try your best to? Yeah, I was gonna say there are definitely things that um, are I'd like to be non-negotiables, like on the physical health side. But um, for music, I mean, I get I, I sort of go in these waves where you know I'm super motivated, and um, we talked about this before. Like I think there's a lot for Mount Joy, and then for myself personally, there's a lot of opportunity right now to um, you know have good songs be, be heard by people right so it's like I have a lot of um yeah just reason to to write and keep that going and I think for the most part I do it every day uh, I'm like a in, in a good way I think uh, like an insomniac that like sort of just spends the my girlfriend will, will at home will go to go to bed because she has like a, a a normal job and a normal sleep schedule um and then there's this period of like three or four hours where it's kind of just me in the house and that's when I do my best everything so I'll just pick up a guitar and hopefully just for the joy of it like pretty much yeah pretty much every day just work play guitar and try not to put too much pressure on it because I feel like that's that that's that whole thing where if you're always going to the session and you know the label's calling and they're like you ready for the 230 it's like I feel like if I'm just writing all the time you know whatever the uh stay ready so you don't have to get ready kind of thing absolutely yeah do you uh and then in that because of that then do you feel like still to this day it doesn't feel like a job to you it doesn't feel like work like you're doing it kind of on your schedule or does it have those days where you you wake up and it's totally i mean i think i think touring is just this is just that aspect of it where it's like there it's just i don't think humans are meant to do it you know so i think <laughs> just wears you down and i think when when you're tired you're not really you're best self and so there are those days of course but i think it's just physical exhaustion more than like the actual like mental desire to do i'm doing exactly what i want to be doing it's just if you've only slept three hours over the last two or three days it's it's hard you're like less than a human at that point. yeah yeah and it's kind of hard to keep seeing like the forest and the trees when you're there you're like this is what i wanted to do my whole life but i'm f fucking exhausted i can't like i'm just struggling to keep going 100 percent. yeah okay fair fair um there is something else that I wanted to to touch on as well. You guys, um, I, it was for the last album, right? It was around the time when I don't and I don't want to go too deep in this if we don't if you don't want to. But you guys raised a bunch of uh, a bunch of money when that when all this stuff was happening with the George Floyd stuff, and mm -hmm. you donated a bunch of money um, from the, the album. That was the previous, not the. Yeah, that was the the last album. Yeah, what, what I mean, besides the fact that obviously you know there was a lot going on around that time, like what inspired you guys to kind of take that initiative um, and kind of support the cause yeah i mean i think you know for us i think not to be too cliche but the first thing we are is like citizens of the world and citizens of uh you know our communities and that we've talked about it a bit but that whole um i mean the last two or three years but in specifically that moment like i feel like it was one of the most important moments in you know, global history specifically, obviously, um, American history. And then also, 
you know, we were, I was living in a big city at the time and you see the way that your community is, um, you know, rallying around the cause. And, um, it's such an important, you know, I think everyone, not everyone, unfortunately, but a lot of people, um, like to think of themselves as the type of person that if they saw something that wasn't right or was unjust that they would stand up for other people. Um, and I think it's that simple. I think, well, here's a moment. What are you going to do? Um, I think for us, it's, it was pretty easy because we had a platform and there was so much leadership. We, We don't, we weren't leaders in that at all. I think we were, you know, if anything, um, you know, unconsequential followers of like a really important moment with like really important leaders. And yeah, I don't think we deserve like any credit for that other than to say that, you know, there were just so many people doing amazing work and we were just following. Fair. Um, more, more of my follow-up question on that is like when you're, when you're at the level you guys are at and, you know, being, um, a world renowned band and, and artist, do you guys like, Obviously, it's objectively the right thing to do. It's being humans at the earth, doing something like this. But do you guys get when you do stuff like this, like any initiatives, any causes? Do you does it good come with the bad? Is it overwhelming me? Like this is the right thing to do? Do does it does it affect anything with? I don't know if the right word is to affect anything in your fan base. I don't want to put in the spot like that. But like, do you get like flack for for taking stands at, at times in that regard? Or yeah, I mean, I think like in the last like two i keep saying this last two year period but it truly has been a yeah. pretty transformational period not just for me personally but i think the band has taken this leap too so that's why i probably keep referring to the last two years but um yeah i mean the internet sucks you know but people suck but i think like the reality is is like if you're confident in your mission and 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 this is not just like a cliche thing i think like i was just giving this advice to like someone who um, is a fan who's on television all the time and, 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 and was talking to me about, you know, having to fight these people in the mentions and this and that. And I was telling her the same thing. It's like, I, I really think there's a thing you can do where you realize that like these people being mad at you is a byproduct of you doing the right thing. And then you can just, you can either fight them, but there's, it's not a physical fight. So you can't like, you can't like submit them and like have the ref come in and be like, you win, you know, (laughs) it's like, there's really no, it's an infinite scroll of just doom with these people whom you're not going to convince whether it's cause related or whether they hate your music, whatever reason they're coming at you. Um, you're not going to convince them. Uh, you're not going to change their mind. And, um, I think it's just important to like, have your sights set on like what your goals are and and what you're trying to do. And then they can, you know, they can have their goals and whatever. And you just know that like over the long war, them, whether it's not believing in science or not believing in equality, whatever is like ultimately a losing battle and they're going to die in a hole just like you, but not as many people will care about them. Yeah. That's a fair, (laughs) I know. Don't worry. I know. I, I understand what you're uh, something like that. Yeah, I understand what you're getting at there. Um, that actually was my my train of thought. I have another question I wanted to ask. Um, no, no, no. It's okay. Oh, that's what I was gonna ask you. In, in regards to like you know, kind of the mentions and to wrap this point up. Um, do you try? Like, are you 
someone who kind of stays out of it, like to your point, I'm not going to try and, you know, change the world here. All I can do is, you know, try to make the world a better place with my actions and, and do what I believe. Or do you kind of get into it with people at times that, that kind of grind your gears? And I mean, dimensions? yeah, I mean, I'm human. So occasionally if someone like crosses the line, you feel, and you're in a, you know, you're, you're in one of those days where you choose violence. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Occasionally you get drawn into it, but I think it like, it escalates almost I think, and this shows something about these people, um, you know, whether it's like the Trumpers of the world or, um, you know, conspiracy theorists or people who are um, disseminating misinformation, like they all come from this same sort of cloth of like, they just genuinely don't have good faith arguments to make. Um, Whereas like if I'm arguing with someone and then I realize that, that they're, not trying to personally attack my self, me like then I think I can actually like engage in like a a battle of wits or something. But if it's more like you know you suck or something about my mom or something, it's like <laughs> what does this have to do with the vaccine? You yeah. know, it's like it just so quickly descends into this like ad hominem like you are the problem or like whatever that you sort of can quickly pivot to like all right you know yeah you've had enough it's interesting on that like just to throw out that point it's it's funny how if you like you know you can have you can have an opinion and you can respect someone from a different opinion but you can quickly tell like am i gonna get anywhere here because you can start discussing you know this is what i believe or this is what the facts are and someone hurls out well you're an idiot well okay that's but that's what's the point that doesn't that doesn't explain if my point is wrong or right or what we're talking about here and yeah then it quickly allows you to kind of just like change direction and say well, if the only way for them to make their point is for you to be dumb, then <laughs> the point is still standing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, listen, we uh, I think we're getting near the end of it. I know you guys have uh, have a hard stop. I don't want to drag too much longer. Um, Matt, I really appreciate you joining me, not us. Um, <laughs> it's It's been a blast. And, and um, we have one, one last thing uh, we always ask, but before I get there, um, kudos to you, man, you and the band. Um, for you know kind of the trajectory you guys are on for going from velvet underground to two shows in uh at history obviously a new new venue newer just recently opened yeah so that should be a pretty exciting time hopefully there's more than i'm assuming there's more than 250 at at this venue so uh and two shows that's great what's next for you guys like what is next for you for mount Choi? what's on the horizon next like six twelve months kind of thing yeah, I mean, we're we're about to put out um, a few new songs and and ultimately um, a new album, which I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm <laughs> saying it. Um, and we worked our butts off on this album, and we're so just genuinely that's what's on my mind. Just like so excited to get this music out. Every band and especially songwriter is going to say this, but I think it's our best album we've ever made. And um, yeah, so there's just this intense excitement, just like the waiting, you know, just waiting for people to hear what we've created and um yeah and then we have uh, a tour this summer and we're obviously on tour right now um and i think that's that's as much as my brain can can hold right now fair enough fair enough well again appreciate you uh coming in we'll let you guys get out of here thanks everybody for listening and tuning in and uh hopefully you guys can make it to, a, to the mountain joy shows in toronto thanks again thanks for having me no problem all right guys see you later all right awesome. Sure.